Okay, so beloveds, we are going through a series on the attributes of God. I'm doing a series of the attributes of God. I've gone through a few of the attributes already, and we will continue today with the next one. Last time, you who weren't here, or you who were here, I don't remember it, it was uh, some time ago already. Last time I talked about the spirituality of God. The spirituality of God, which meant, of course, that God is a spirit. God is spirit. He's a spirit being. He's not made up of body parts like we are. He doesn't have a physical composition. He's without a physical body. He's immaterial. He's invisible. And this this uh, doctrine we... we could see from from various parts in the Bible, we could see that uh, God is not unique in being a spirit. There are other spirit beings. There are angels who are spirit beings. Men are called are said to have a spirit within them, within us. It, it's often used interchangeably with the word soul. So soul and spirit often used in the same sense in the Bible. But whereas we are complex beings, we are made up of parts, we have a body and soul, material and immaterial, God is pure spirit. God doesn't have composition. There is, there is no physical part to him. And the text we looked a little bit closer on was John 4, 24, the, the go-to text for the spirituality of God, John 4, 24. And every so in that context, Jesus was meeting a Samaritan woman at the Jacob's well near Sychar, a city in Samaria. And Jesus, in this encounter, is instructing the woman, he's teaching the woman that he, Jesus, is the one who can give living water. He's the one who can give eternal life and it is that which the woman needs at this moment she needs eternal life she needs to be saved but the woman doesn't seem to understand she's not really following along with Jesus' teaching here she's, she's, she's thinking that Jesus is talking about physical water they're sitting at a well or beside a well and Jesus is has asked her, please give me some water. So she thinks they're talking about physical water. So Jesus tries to correct her understanding in this conversation. And he tells her, go get your husband. Go get your husband. Now why does he say that? Why does he say, go get your husband? What does that have to do with anything? Well, the woman, of course, knows that she's an adulterer. She has had five husbands, and the one that she now has is not her husband. She has lived in adultery. She is a sinner. So Jesus is pointing to her sin. He's grabbing on to that which only she would be able to know. Jesus doesn't know this woman from before, but Jesus is God. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus knows she's living in sin. And the woman recognizes this. She, she, she understands that, wow, Jesus knows that I'm a sinner. Surely he's a prophet. 
Surely he's a prophet from God. So what does she do? She asks a question. She asks a question. Where is it right to worship God? On this mountain? Gerithim, as it is called. Or in Jerusalem, where the Jews worshipped? She is interested in where it is right to worship God. Where is God? Where can I worship him? Her understanding is still faulty. She thinks that God is in one particular place. But Jesus answers, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And more importantly, Jesus explains, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers, to worship in spirit and truth. This is the crux of the matter. God is not limited to one particular geographical place, an area. God is not so bound by his, his, uh, his being that he would need to be in Jerusalem or he would need to be on a particular mountain. God is a spirit. He's without physical composition. He is not merely in Jerusalem or merely in Mount, the Mount Gerizim. But God is everywhere where people worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. He is without physical composition. Verse 24, which was the one that we wanted to focus at. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This, this is the only true and right worship of God in spirit and truth because it reflects who he is. It reflects his nature. It reflects his being. This honors God. So if you worship him, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And this will be a little bit important as we turn to um, the subject for today, which is the infinity of God. The infinity of God. And what is the infinity of God? Let's start with the word infinity. That's, that's the important word here. What is infinity? It's the state of being infinite, infinite, which is the opposite of finite, of course. And this comes from the word, uh, the Latin word infinitas, which means unlimitedness, no end, no stopping. We are very finite beings. There is an end to our being in time and in space. Time and space, those two components. But of course, God is not limited. He's not, there's no beginning or end to his being in time and space. He's infinite in time, eternal, and he's infinite in place. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere 
present. None of us has lived in a time that was before our birth. None of us lived in the 19th century, for example. We know that the 19th century existed, but we didn't, we didn't exist then. Only in the mind of God, of course. But There was a time when we did not exist. A time where our being weren't existing. God's being was existing and is existing also in the 19th century and in the 22nd and so forth in all times. And our being is limited to this place right here today. We are here, we who are here. But the believers in Tampere, for example, are in Tampere. They are limited to that geographical area. But God is not limited to Löwe, as only we could be able to worship him. And God is not uh, limited to Tampere, so that the believers there could only worship him there. But he is omnipresent and he is eternal. This is the infinity of God. He is everywhere and he is always present. So let's look at these two, two components of the infinity of God. Let's start with the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God, which means, of course, that God is present everywhere. Present everywhere. Let's look at a, a Bible text. I don't just stand here and, and talk to you. Let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Let's look at seven, verse 7 through 10. Just read those verses and I'll give a short comment on it. Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, you, your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Just, the, just those verses. God is present everywhere in this psalm. I don't know if you noticed, but the psalmist here is, is using words that is speaking of all directions. We know all the, the uh, directions on a compass. It's north, south, east and west. Do we all agree on that? Yes. And do you see that the psalmist is doing that thing here? In verse 8 he's using, if I ascend to heaven. Where is heaven? It's upwards. It's north. You are there. If I make my bed in shell, where is that? It's downwards, that's south. If I take the wings of the dawn, where does the sun rise? In the east. And if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, which sea are we talking about? Which sea is beside the Holy Land? The Mediterranean, it's in the west. So the psalmist is using words to describe that God is everywhere. He's in the north, the south. The east, the west. God is everywhere. In the heaven. In the, the kingdom of the dead. He's everywhere. Everywhere present. There is no part of the universe where you can go where there is 
no part of God, where God is not present. You can't flee into a distant galaxy and believe that you will be rid of God. There's no molecule or no supernova that is not under the direct presence of God. There's no place where God is less or where God is more. He's not more here because this is a church building and he's not less in a pub or a tavern or anywhere else because there are no believers there. God is always present, equally present, fully present. But uh, some of you might think now that the Bible talks about heaven quite a lot and that God is in heaven. When we pray to God, we, we lift up our prayers, at least symbolically, to God in heaven. Is God in heaven? Is that his dwelling place, so to speak? Let's look at the uh, Bible text, the psalm again. Psalm 123. Verse 1, just one verse. 123, verse 1. Which says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned, in the heavens. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Now why is the psalmist lifting up his eyes as if God was in one particular place? Isn't he everywhere? Well, when it says heavens here, it, it actually means the heaven of heavens. It is the highest heaven, the highest place. There is no higher place, no higher order, no higher rank. The New Testament talks about uh, the third heaven. Paul went to the third heaven as if there are more than one heaven. But in Jewish systems, there are, they talk about several layers of heaven. So he went to the third heaven, the highest heaven, the place of God's throne. And it's a picture to show that God dwells in the highest place. He's on the highest throne. When we, we, when we want to lift up people, lift up someone important, we, we, again, we lift them up. We put them on a throne or a, a pedestal or something. We, we elevate them. Uh, um, you could take an example, a sporting event. Someone has won a sporting event, 100 meters maybe. The winner gets to ascend a podium and even gets to be in a higher place than the second and third place. He gets to be in the highest place. He's the winner. He's to be honored. And so it is with God. He is the greatest. There is no greater being than God. He is in the highest place on his throne in the high place. Psalm 97, you don't have to turn there if you don't like it. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You are the Lord most high. It is an expression to show that God is higher than anything else. 
There is no being, there is no thing that is higher than God. It's not a, a, a geographical description of where God is. He's on a cloud somewhere. No, it is an expression, a, um, a picture of God being the highest being, God most high. God most high. So God is both in heaven and on earth. He's both, he's both high above and near to us. Jeremiah 23 says, Am I a, a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man, man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do not I... Fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. The answer is, of course, yes. God fills the heavens. God fills the earth. He is both high lifted up and here with us. And this is both good news and bad news. Good news for us who are reconciled with God who have our sins forgiven, who know Him, who have a relationship with Him, who love Him, who have tasted of His goodness, His mercy, His grace. For us, it is good news that God is near to us, that He is with us everywhere, in every trial. Psalm 23, I'm sure you all know Psalm 23, the best psalm maybe. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is near. God is comforting. God is supporting. Even in a place as low as the valley of the shadow of death. Could be said that the greatest fear a man can have is the fear of death, the fear of dying. And here the psalmist is comforted, knowing that even in the moment, the last moment of his life, close to dying, walking in the shadow of the valley of death, God is with him. He is confident knowing that his rod and his staff, they will be with him. They will comfort him. They will be there. He will be there in the moment of death. The Bible says that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He's always near. Jesus Last words to his disciples before being taken up to heaven was, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Even to the end of age. This hints, of course, at the eternity of God. Let's look at that also. Oh, excuse me, let's not go there. Let's look at the bad news. I have that. Also here, the bad news. Why is it bad news that God is everywhere present? Well, it's bad for all those who have not bowed their knee to God. 
or not reconciled with God. It's bad because the eternally perfect, righteous, just God who knows everything is present everywhere. He sees everything. He knows it because he is there. There is no sin so hidden that God's immediate presence is not there. It's not seeing it. You think you can get away with things in this world. Yes, you might get away with things in this world. You might get away with theft. You might even get away with murder. But God is also there. He has seen that. And you might get away with a small sin. You could consider it a small sin. Maybe as a white lie. White lie. As there was different degrees of lies. God is there. God is there when you're angry. Unrighteously so. God is there when you lose your temper. God is there. He has seen it. He knows. Maybe nobody else knows, but he knows. He sees. And to make it even worse, if you want to make it worse, God will not disappear from you once this life is over. Oh no. God will be very, very present in the afterlife, also for the unbelievers. Also in the place called Gehenna. The place of eternal torment. Hell is a word we use to to say where God is not something that is so opposite to God. It is the sinner's place. Surely God is not there. But the Bible says that God is in hell as well. Let's, Let's look at the Bible text that talks about that. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. It's interesting that when people say that the God of the Old Testament is, is so much more severe and, and hard and punishing than the God of the New Testament, I don't think they have read Revelation. Let's look at what the, the book of Revelation says. Chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, Anyone worships the, the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. They will be tormented and they will be so in the presence of the Lamb, of Christ, the one who they spat on, who they rejected, the one who they denied, mocked. He will be there. He will be present in his presence. This torment will come upon you. 
he will be there. And he will give, have them drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In full strength there is maximum penalty, maximum severity. You think you might get some grace because the lamb is there. There will be no grace. In full strength of the wrath of God. So just like in this life, God will be present, very, very present. But he will not show you grace. There will be no common grace. There will be no mercy, no love. There will be only wrath, eternal wrath, full wrath. But beloveds, there is, that's, not, that's not necessarily the end of it. You don't need to be in the lowest state. You can turn to the Savior. You can turn to Him and find grace in Him. You're still in the time of grace. Let's not waste that time. Let's go to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Ask to be reconciled with him. So that when the day comes. The day of your death. Which is coming. You will not be in the presence of the Lamb. And his wrath will be poured out on you. You will be in the presence of the Lamb. And his goodness will be poured out on you. There is still time. But we also had another part of this attribute that we need to look at. And that is the eternity of God. The eternity of God. That God's existence is eternal. He's everywhere. As we have seen now in hell, in heaven, here. But he is also always present everywhere. So God's existence is eternal. He has existed forever and he will exist forever. From eternity past to eternity future, there is no end to him. Even if there could be a beginning and an end to God, there would be nothing outside those boundaries. There is nothing that stretch beyond God in time or in space. He existed before creation. Genesis 1 is the the text we go to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was there when creation began. And God will endure forever. Again, a psalm. 102 says, even they will perish, talking about mankind, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like garments, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. No end to his so-called years. Creation has an end. We have an end. God has no end. We are worn out like clothing. Sooner or later our bodies have decayed. 
There is no ability to sustain it anymore. We can give it drugs and medicine and, and do all kinds of shenanigans with our bodies, but it will die. It will be worn out. God is not worn out. He does not have a state of improvement or decay. Indeed, his years cannot even be discovered. His years, as if he could have years to his, his being. Again, the, the Bible says, Behold, in Job, book of Job says, Behold, God is exalted and we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable. You're not able to find out the years of God. He has not existed for a very, 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 very long time. Millions and billions and trillions of years. No, they are unsearchable. They are of eternity. But we don't need to use all these fancy words and complex logic. I don't know if you consider it complex, but... Logic to, to see that God is eternal. The Bible says it straightforward. Isaiah 40.28 says the, the everlasting God. God is the everlasting God. The God of eternity. And later in the same book, Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. One verse if you, that I truly, truly find inspiring like it says in, in the ESV and King James that God inhabits eternity eternity is even subjected to God he inhabits it he lives there this is his home eternity this is his there his dimension we are very time bound creature we think in time related terms but God transcends time. He lives in eternity. In eternity. Everything that happen, is happening in time is as present to God as everything is present to us right now. You are hearing a preacher right now. But everything in time that happens in time is present to God. We know that from his name... The eternal I am. He is always present. There's no I was. There's no I will be. There is only I am. The eternal present. Everything is present. Everything is now to him. He always is. And God being eternal also has purposes that are eternal. Eternal purposes. There is no end to his goals, his, his uh, missions, his purposes. He will do things in time. He will create us. He will save some of us at least. He will uh, sanctify his people. He will, he will uh, save them Eternally, some of us he will pass over, he will not save, he will remove his grace from those. All those things happen in time, 
but the purpose is still eternal. God's purpose is eternal. We are saved unto eternal life or we are damned unto eternal punishment. Which means that there is no end to God's purposes. It will go on and on and on forever. Let's look at one text for that as well. One last text. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 11. Just one last verse. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 says this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This in the word this in this verse refers to the mystery of Christ. It's in verse 6 that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery that was revealed in Christ that the Gentiles also have a place in this family, the family of God. And this is an eternal purpose. The revealing of this mystery is in, a God, is in accordance with God's eternal purpose. God's eternal, eternal purposes doesn't include only the Jews. It includes Gentiles as well, which is good news for us. It is salvation unto eternal life. God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, they are very, very physically dead. There's no Isaac and uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs that walked thousands of years ago on this earth. They are long gone, but they are not dead. They are alive. God is the God of the living. They are eternally alive. They live forever. Even if they die, and even if we die, we will live forever. God's eternal purpose continues and continues and continues. Even if we die, which we will, if we're not raptured before it, we will live forever. His purpose will not end. So, beloved, we have... Before us, an attribute of God, a characteristic, if you want to call it that. A God is infinite. There's no limit to him in space or time. His purposes transcends time. It even transcends ethnical boundaries, not only Jews, Gentiles also. God's infinity stretches in every direction, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, to us, to us in this place, in this time. God's eternal purposes has come. Salvation and damnation. This is 
something we all need to address. It is not something that a, a preacher only finds interesting or a theologian might think a lot about. Oh, the infinity of God sounds very interesting. It is interesting, but it affects every one of us. Whether or not you are a believer or an unbeliever, this is something that affects you. God is infinite whether or not you believe in him or not. Whether you are in Christ or outside him. You need to be reconciled with God. Because God lives forever and he is everywhere present. He will see you what you're doing right now. What you're thinking right now. What your thoughts are. What's in your heart. God will do so tomorrow. The day after that. And into the last day of your life. He will be there. And then after death he will be there. You need to be reconciled with God. He will not go away. There is no place without God. Many unbelievers when they're asked, Why, where do you want to go after death? To hell I want to go because they think that God will not be there. They are mistaken. God will be there. But there will be no goodness of him there. Beloveds, are you reconciled with the infinite God? Do you have forgiveness for your sins? Or will you find that the infinite God will see you, know you, and damn you? Beloved, I already said that there is time, but you don't know how much time. God has ordained all time. God has ordained everything that happens in time and space. He has ordained your death. It might be soon. Does he have a reason to keep you alive? Does he have a reason to keep hearing of the goodness of God, of his character, of the grace of him, and continue to reject him? Do you think that he should continue to do that? That he should continue to offer you patience and kindness and goodness, and you will continue to spat on him, to reject him, to trample him? What reason does he have to keep you alive? If you do not believe. Beloved. This is the day of salvation. This is the time of grace. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't put it off into the future. You might not have a future. Only a future in hell. Where God will be. And us who believe. Who are reconciled with God. Who have the peace of God within us. God is always with us. He's everywhere with us. He walks with us. He talks with us. He comforts us. Even in the shadow of the valley of death. He will be there with you. He will be there with you. No trial. No temptation. 
No time, no place is outside God's presence. What reason do you have to forget him, to not trust him, to not believe him, his word, his promises? He is with us. God with us, he's called Emmanuel. Today, forever. Beloveds, let's end this time with a prayer together, remembering that God is with us. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to know that you are always with us, everywhere, all the time. You are a God of infinity. You have no bounds in time or space. You will be with us when we die. You will be with us when we rise up in glory. You will be with us in every trial in this life. And you will be with us in every joy as well. Oh Lord, forgive us for our unbelief of not always trusting you or forgetting you of not seeing you, remembering you in those times when we don't walk with you. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help our unbelief, Lord. Help our unbelief so that we always trust you. Oh, Lord, we pray for those who do not believe in you. Lord, save them. You are sovereign. You are the God who saves You do not find pleasure in the death of the wicked. Lord, we ask, save them who do not know you. Oh, that they would be reconciled to you, Lord. Please save them. We know that they will never go away from your presence. But Lord, let them come into the presence of goodness. In the presence of glory. Your glory, Lord. Oh, please, Lord. For everyone here this day who do not know you, I ask, Lord, save them. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have shown us the grace and goodness through your word this Sunday. We thank you in our, in, in our Savior's and the Lord's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.